0: as ct says you can turn anywhere in the bible you want to but i'm gonna be in acts chapter 23 tonight acts 23 when you find acts chapter 23 find verse 1 and stand up when you find it all right it takes you a while to find it just fake it stand up anyway acts chapter 23 verse number one we'll read our text verses first tonight amen acts 23 Verse 1, stand in honor and reverence to the reading of God's Word. If you're physically able, if not, say amen as we read. Chapter 23 and verse number 1. And Paul, earnestly beholding the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded them that stood by him to smite him on the mouth. Then said Paul unto him, God shall smite thee, Thou whited wall, for sittest thou to judge after the law, and commandest me to be smitten contrary to the law. And they that stood by said, Revilest thou God's high priest? Then said Paul, I wis not, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it is written, That thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. But when Paul perceived, That one part were Sadducees and the other part Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, and the hope and the resurrection of the dead I am called in question. And when he had so said, there arose a dissension between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the multitude was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, neither angel nor spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. And there arose a great cry And the scribes that were of the Pharisees, uh, Pharisees part arose and strove saying, We find no evil in this man, but if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. And when there arose a great dissension, the chief captain, fearing lest Paul should have been pulled in pieces of them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force from among them and to bring him into the castle. Verse number 11. And the night following the Lord Stood by him, and said, "Be of good cheer, Paul. For as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so that must thou bear witness also at Rome." He said, "Be of good cheer, Paul. For as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome." Tonight, I want to preach on this thought: when it's going to hurt, when it's going to hurt let's pray father thank you so much for your word thank you so much for the life and ministry that we see in all through the book of acts thank you for a man named paul that you saved when nobody would have picked him nobody would ever thought he would become a preacher god you saved him and you used him to do mighty things that still stand to this day that still give us our doctrine that still give us our hope god i pray tonight that you use your word to speak to your people get me out of your way hide me behind the cross and i ask these things in jesus name amen Thank you, you can be seated. So if you remember last week, we remember that angry mob in chapter 22, that mob that got fired up about Paul and got, I got a lot louder there, that angry mob that got fired up and got angry with Paul because... Uh, he began to tell them how he was going to take the gospel of Jesus Christ, how he was going to go tell uh, the, the gospel and the good news to the Gentiles. And they weren't hearing it. Um, they were not willing to accept that, that those were not. Uh, turn me down just a little bit more, fellas. I feel like I'm yelling at them. Um, that they, they were not going to accept that, and that angry mob began to get involved, and that angry mob began to rant <coughs> and holler and shout and accuse him of different things and throw different titles at him. And we talked about last week that Paul got up and he beckoned with his hand, he silenced the crowd. The chief captain gave him a gave him chance to speak, and he held out his hand. And as the crowd grew, qu- grew quiet, he began to say, Guilty as charged. And what was he guilty of? Paul said, I'm guilty of being a nobody, just like you. I'm guilty of knowing somebody, and I'm guilty of trying to tell everybody. And we know that the crowd didn't like that one bit. They got even more riled up. And uh, we're going to, by introduction, look again at the end of chapter 22 and verse number 22. Chapter 22 and verse 22. When he got that mob, worked back up into a frenzy, here's what happened. And they gave him audience unto this word. Then they lifted up their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for it is not fit that he should live. And as they cried out, they cast off their clothes and threw dust into the air. The chief captain commanded him to be brought into the castle and bade that he should be examined by scourging, that he might know wherefore they cried so against him. And as they bound him with thongs, Paul said unto the centurion that stood by, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man that is a Roman and uncondemned? And when the centurion heard that, he went and told the chief captain, saying, Take heed what thou doest, for this man is a Roman." So we see now that the Jews had their will, the, those Sadducees and those Pharisees, that they got worked up into a mob. They were seeking to use the Romans. They were seeking to use the Roman government to annihilate Paul. They wanted to simply turn Paul over to the Romans and because they were worked up, because they were a mob, they were wanting to use the Romans to exterminate Paul. They were wanting to use the Romans to kill Paul, to murder Paul, to uh, have a phony trial, you name it, and, and kill Paul just like they did. To our Lord Jesus Christ. They were seeking to use this Roman government to annihilate Paul, but Paul pulls something. He pulls a card that nobody saw coming. And as uh, the chief captain sees this mob <coughs> uh, angry and sees this mob yelling things, and he looks down at Paul and he says, You know, we've got to get to the bottom of this. We've got to see what this man's all about. Let's beat him a little bit. Let's rough him up. Scourging was that process they did to our Lord and Savior, uh, where they would begin to whip him, where they would begin to punch him, where they would begin to just beat him until he wouldn't be able to keep up a charade any longer. He wouldn't have been able to keep up a tough face any longer. They were going to scourge Paul, and that would have made the Jews happy. That would have quieted down this mob. So that's the chief captain's plan. But then right as he's about to do it, Paul says to one of the guards that's holding him, hey, you can't do this this to a Roman. He starts now invoking his constitutional rights as a Roman citizen, alright? How Paul got to be a Roman citizen is a lot of studying out to do, but you would find that they would not have taken this claim lightly. They would have investigated it. They would A Roman citizen, uh, by order and decree of Caesar of Rome, had to be able to produce what we would call a birth certificate. Had to be able to produce here in America uh, a proof of citizenship, just like we have now. They would have had to produce back then, because you remember the Roman Empire stretched across the whole world, and there were Roman citizens at every corner of the world, and you did not want to be confused with a non-Roman citizen. If you were a non-Roman citizen, you were simply a bond servant. You were possibly a slave. You were possibly somebody that was lower than the lowest dirt out there. But if you had this certificate, you had this piece of paper that showed your Roman citizenship, you were granted your constitutional rights, what we would say in our vernacular, as a Roman You have Paul go through this entire ministry. And uh, he he brought it up a couple different times earlier, but he's never invoked this right of protection like he has now. And as he sees himself about to be scourged, he understands that this is not where God wants him to make his stand. This is not where God wants his speech to be heard. This is not where he wants the gospel presented. He doesn't simply want Paul to just be scourged and appease the crowd. He, by discernment of the Lord, he now says, Centurion... You can't do this to me. I'm a Roman. Citizen, They would have had to have asked for proof. He would have had to produce proof. And then once he did, this chief captain now that the Jews wanted to kill him is now the only man that's going to protect him. Because now Paul's, uh, Paul's citizenship protects him from the, and he is now guaranteed a fair trial and to be heard out and to not just be snuffed out like the Jews wanted. So understand this, that the very mechanism that the enemy tried to use to destroy Paul was now the very mechanism that was protecting Paul. All right. And what it got was him a, a little bit more of a formal audience. OK, a formal audience. And that's where we find the beginning of chapter 23. The chief priest finally realizes, hey, I'm not going to be dealing with an angry mob. I'm not going to we're going to hear this man out. And I want to see exactly what it is that these Sadducees and these Pharisees have against this man. And that is where we zoom in on in chapter number 23. And first of all, I notice a simple Repetition. Paul stands up. You can imagine. He gathers. Look at verse, back up in verse number 30. This is who's there. On the morrow, because he would have known the certainty wherefore he was accused of the Jews, he loosed him from his bands and commanded the chief priests and all their council to appear and brought Paul down and set him before them. So he gathers all the chief priests, all the council, all the mighty uh, Sadducees, all the mighty Pharisees, and he brings Paul before them. And Paul gets the floor in verse number one and we see a simple repetition. He said, men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. Again, Paul restates what he stated back in chapter 22. I am only guilty of serving my Lord and my Savior. I am not guilty of blasphemy. I am not guilty of all these other titles you're trying to slander at me. I am guilty as charged of serving my Lord and my Savior. They did not like that. You see, because they had manipulated the law in such a way where they thought they got to decide who was a Jew and who was not and who was following the law and who was not. So immediately that simple repetition was was met with a smiting reaction. Look at verse number two. And the high priest Ananias commanded them that stood by to smite him on the mouth. This is Satan's final tactic. You see, he tries noise, he tries confusion, he tries to muddy the waters. We've seen that all throughout the book of Acts. We've seen him use these Jews. But his final act, his final intimidation comes by Violence. This Ananias, this high priest, as soon as Paul began to just say, hey, I'm only guilty of serving the Lord Jesus Christ, he wanted him smote. He wanted him hit. He wanted him smacked across the face to see maybe he'll just hush his mouth. Maybe he'll just quiet if we just hit him, if we just threaten him, if we just intimidate him. I don't know how many times I've heard Christians try to speak up in the workplace or try to speak up uh, in, in their in their circles or in their friends or and in, 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 in a crude joke or a snide remark will be made that smite that lash just to see if you'll hush your mouth just to see if you won't say anything that is what the chief priest here was trying to do he was trying to quickly just silence paul before he could say anything else about his ministry but it wouldn't work um and we see a spotless response then said paul unto him who god shall smite thee thou whited wall god shall smite thee thou whited wall what does it mean thou whited wall Jesus said back in the book of Matthew as he was talking to the Pharisees, he said, Oh, ye hypocrites, oh, ye whited sepulchres. All right. In their tombs in the Jewish culture, uh, we've actually got one right here on Greens Lakes Road, some of the, the, um, the mausoleums or the tombs where people are literally buried above ground. All right. On the outside of those tombs, on the outside of those mausoleums, you would have a, a white granite. It's very pretty. It's very. uh, It it, it maybe lightens the fact that there's a body in there. All right. Uh, If you go in there as a little kid or as a young person, you go in and there's a there's there's literally dead people all in these little boxes on the wall, and it kind of it kind of scares you a little bit. Well, what they would do if you had wealth or if you had money, if you had reputation, you would have the ability to be able to put in one of these mausoleums and one of these tombs, and there would be a white. Granite wall encasing you. And the picture Jesus used and now Paul is using is on the outside, you're pretty. On the outside, you're clean. On the outside, you look nice and you're fancy. But on the inside, you're dead. On the inside, you're vile. On the inside, you are guilty of death and you are guilty of breaking God's law. And as he was smote by this man, he looks back at him and he said, God will smite thee, thou whited wall. You know what he said? You hypocrite. You hypocrite, God will smite thee. That's Paul's response to this man. So things you can see are heating up, all right? Paul didn't just sit there and take it. Paul didn't just sit there and, you know, bow his little head and then and, and take it. No, he fired right back. Paul was always known as riot or revival preaching. He was always known as a firecracker. So we see a spotless response, though. This was not an anger. If you look in verse number 4, and they that stood by said, Revilest thou God's high priest. And Paul, you could see, he gets to the point where he catches himself in verse number five. Then said, Paul, I wish not, brethren, that he was the high priest. For it is written, thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. You know what he said? He said, boys, I wish he wasn't the high priest because then I could say what I'd like to say about him. This is Paul. This is Paul speaking. He didn't, uh, he didn't cover it up. He didn't snowcoat it. He said, you know what? I responded to his accusation. I called him a hypocrite, but I will stop there because the Bible says, for it is written, thou shalt not revile us, the ruler of thy people. And he said, boys, I wish he wasn't the high priest. Where are you going with this preacher? Notice it keeps getting heated up, uh, a spotless response and now a smooth reversal. Okay, now the lines have been drawn. It's Ananias over here with the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And it's poor little old Paul. And meanwhile, the Roman chief captains just kind of the third party. They're kind of keeping order, watching things. So I want you to understand the situation as we go into this. But we see a smooth reversal. Look at verse number six. But when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other were Pharisees, he had an idea. All right. He sees here and he sees his accusers coming against him, all right? And he outwits them. He outsmarts them. He makes them look completely foolish. He exposes their hypocrisy for everyone there to see. Look again at verse number six. When Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, of the hope and resurrection of the dead. I am called in question, all right? He says, guys, I am a Pharisee. I was born a Pharisee. Paul was literally a Pharisee. He was saved. Now he's a Christian. Now he's a follower of Jesus Christ. But his lineage was that of a Pharisee. He has always believed that there was life after death. He has always believed that if you followed God's law and God's commandments, that you would see him again in paradise. And now he's a Christian. Now he knows without a shadow of a doubt where he's going when he dies. Now he knows without a shadow of a doubt if he lays his head down on his pillow and he doesn't awake again that he's going to be in heaven with Jesus. And now he's making this proclamation that I am preaching the resurrection of the dead. I am preaching a resurrected savior. I am preaching a resurrected gospel. There is something else. And it's what I'm coming to tell you about. It is the good news of the gospel. And he drops off a firebomb right there in the middle of that console, council Why? Because half of them believed you would live after you died, that there was a resurrection. But in our Bible, we see that the Sadducees, they were, every preacher does it, so I got to do it. They were sad, you see, because they thought there was no resurrection. They thought you, you died and that's it. You know, what you, what you had here on the earth, you should obey the law, you should do this. But there was no resurrection of the dead. And they were on the other side of the spectrum. So basically what he does is he picks a fight and he just watches chaos ensue. He makes this proclamation that he's preaching the resurrection from the dead. And now the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they start fussing, they start fighting. And it gets so chaotic, all right, that the chief captain had no choice but to intervene. It got so chaotic, if you look in at verse number 10, And when there arose a great dissension, the chief captain, fearing lest Paul should have been pulled in pieces, all right, There's such a chaos. There's such a commotion. There's such violence. The chief captain looks at this mess. And now he's got to protect this Roman citizen. And Paul, he can't let him be uh, annihilated there by the Jews without a fair trial. He has to intervene and protect Paul from this. And he commands. Look at verse number uh, 10. Commanded the soldiers to go down and to take him by force from among them and to bring him to the castle. All right. So here's Paul. Paul. All right, he's sitting in the castle, probably back under lock and key, whether he's in a jail cell or a dungeon or simply one of the rooms of the castle, the Bible doesn't say. But he would have been under lock and key. He would have been awaiting a trial, awaiting an examination by room. We're going to get to those chapters in the days ahead. But we see Paul now understanding the way this is going to go, understanding that this is the end of his road here on earth. And no doubt in his mind that he knew he wasn't getting out of this. He also knew this was an opportunity for the truth of the gospel to shine, and he wasn't going to pass it up. All right. Sometimes all that to say this, all that introduction, all that for you to understand where Paul was, where he was seeing he was looking out at his days ahead and nothing more was in his mind that this is going to hurt. This is going to hurt. This is where Paul was. He knows there's no escape route. He knows there's no getting out of this. He's in this Roman castle. The Romans are going to see to it that he's treated just fairly as a Roman citizen. That he's going to eventually end up in Rome and be tried and go before more men. But he knows this is it. He knows the storm that is coming is going to to hurt. And sometimes all that to get to this, you and I as Christians right here in Rossville, Georgia, we see those storms coming. I know we we all go through storms and we all go through times in our life where it just seems to come out of nowhere. All right. But those big storms, those deep valleys, those things that are the worst of the worst, we see them coming most of the time, don't we? We know they're headed our way. We see the bills not adding up. We see uh, maybe a family member doing something they're not supposed to do. We see the way things are going in our marriage or things are going with our kids. We see those big storms brewing a long way off. And we see them coming and we know there's no escaping them. And all we can think about in our heads is this is going to hurt. This is going to hurt. As Brother Mal preached this morning, when you think of these things in light of how big God is... They are all small things. They are all small storms. There is no storm bigger than our Lord Jesus Christ. However, they are big to us. We are here in Rossville, Georgia. We are going to go through trials and we are going to go through problems. Uh, And as Miss Teresa was testifying of one of her family members, the the young man said, and I can't handle these storms. I I just don't know. And, And she told him and very wisely told him that's exactly where God wants you. He wants you to admit that you can't handle it so that he can come in and step, step in with you and go through that storm with you. So tonight, when it's going to hurt When you see that storm approaching, when you see that tribulation, when you see that trial, when you see that examination, when you see those things that are coming down your lane, that are coming right at you, and you know there's no getting to the right, there's no getting to the left, there's no running away, you're going to have to go through this storm as a child of God. There's some things I want you to remember tonight. And they're all given unto us in verse number 11. Number one, remember who is beside you. I know you're tired. I know it's a Sunday night. But y'all better pay attention with me to these first words in verse 11. Or I'll have a stroke. All right? Because they're exciting. They're exciting. Look at verse number 11. You see where Paul's at. And the night following, here it is, the Lord stood by him. And the night following, the Lord stood by him. When you know it's going to hurt, when you know the storms are as real as they're ever going to get, when you know the pains, as painful as it's ever going to get, when you see it coming, or you're beginning in the early stage of it, remember who is beside you. Paul was reminded there in verse number 11 that he didn't have to go looking for his Lord and Savior. He didn't have to go looking for Jesus. The Lord stood by him. He's there. He's there. And it gets even better. It's a close stance. There's a song that we sing at youth camp and it goes, when everyone walks out, that's when he walks in. When everyone else walks out, that's when he walks in. I want you to understand that's where Paul was here. He didn't have Luke by by his side. He didn't have his doctor to treat his wounds anymore. When he would be beaten and when he would be bruised and when he would, when it was going to hurt, he wasn't going to have Dr. Luke there to help him. He was going to be all alone. He didn't have Timothy and he didn't have Barnabas and he didn't have his brethren. He didn't have Aquila and Priscilla. He didn't have his people, his, his people that always had his back. He would have been tempted to think that everyone had left him out to dry and as he sat in this Roman castle and he looked to the storm ahead, sometimes the devil will trick you into thinking that you're all by yourself, but the Lord stood by him, but the Lord stood by him, but the Lord stands by you, but your Savior's right there in your hip pocket. He's right there to walk with you every single step of the way. We know that in the, new te- in, in the Gospels, when Peter was out there on the boat, and Jesus said, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter said, bits that I come to you on the water. And he said, come. And Peter walked out to that, that storm. And Peter walked out into those raging winds and waves. And he began to walk. And when he started noticing the bigness of the storm, he began to be afraid. And he began to sink. And he cried out, help, Lord. And God extended his hand. He saved Peter there. And he said, oh, ye of little faith. And they began to walk back to the boat. You remember that? But nowhere in your King James Bible does it say the storm stopped. Nowhere in your King James Bible does it say the storm ceased. Nowhere in your King James Bible does it say there when Peter and Christ were walking on the water that the winds were gone and the waves were gone. No, the storm was just as fervent as ever. The storm was just as painful as ever. The storm was just as scary as ever. But thank God we have a Lord, we have a Savior that will walk right down in the middle of it with you and me. He will take us by the hand and He'll walk through it every single step of the way. I don't believe you, preacher. I don't understand. You remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they were down in that fiery furnace and Nebuchadnezzar looked down there and he said, didn't we cast three men into the fire? But I see four and one looks like the son of God. You'd you'd think, you'd understand that while they were delivered from that fire, they'd still be trying to get out of that fire. They'd still be trying to run. But no, they would have rather stayed in the place where Jesus was in the fire than get out. They would have rather stayed in the storm. They would have rather stayed in the furnace and then leave, then run, then retreat. Why? Because that's where Jesus was. Some of you elder Christians know that it's those greatest trials and it's those greatest storms where you get the closest with your Savior. And then when the next one comes along, you know He's going to be there. You know He's going to be there. A close stance and a cheerful sincerity. Look at what He says. I'll take a lap if y'all don't. Be of good cheer, Paul. Be of good cheer, Paul. If you didn't notice, this is the creator of the whole known universe. If you didn't realize it, this is the one that said, let there be light, and there was light. If you didn't notice... He breathed the breath of life into Adam's nostrils. This is the Creator. This is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And He knows Paul's name. Yeah. It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. Be of good cheer, Paul. Be of good cheer, Bryce. Be of good cheer, Abby. We sing another song. He knows my name. Sometime all the noise and all the pain... And all the distraction of this world can make us think that God is so far away and that our problems aren't as big as everybody else's problems. And He doesn't care about my storm. And He doesn't care about my furnace. And He doesn't care about the things that are hurting me and affecting me. Can I tell you, you're wrong. Nicely, you're wrong. Lovingly, you're wrong. He knows you. He knows your name. He knows where you're sitting every day. He knows the chair you sit in in your living room. He knows what runs through your head. He knows the pain and the depression and those depraving thoughts. He knows everything. Every part of your frame. He knows the things about you you don't even know about yourself. He knows your name. He knows your name. When it's going to hurt, remember, He knows who you are. Remember, He knows things about you that you don't even know about you. He knows things about you that you haven't even learned about yourself yet. That's my favorite part. As a young preacher, that's my favorite part. Is He knows things about me that I don't know about me. And I get to learn about me from Him. I get to learn about me from him. I was smart enough to realize I wasn't smart enough to have things figured out for myself. And at a very young age in ministry, go, okay, Lord, you got to do this because I can't do it. It takes some men a long time to realize that. I understand that. But I realized very early on, this thing ain't about me. He said, be of good cheer, Paul. He knew his name. He knew his location. He knew where he was. He comes to him, he says, just in case you forgot, I got you, I got you. That's just number one, good Lord. Remember who is beside you when it's going to hurt. Remember who is beside you. Secondly, when it's going to hurt, remember what's behind you. Look at verse 11 again. Be of good cheer, Paul. For as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem... As thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem. You know what he was telling Paul? Jerusalem is the culmination of your ministry, Paul. Take a look back at all the times, Paul, that I've been there for you. Number one, take a look at your Damascus road. Take a look at your Damascus road. Paul, you remember where you were when I found you? But it's going to hurt, Lord. This storm's going to be bad, Lord. I don't know if I'm going to make it through this, Lord. Paul, do you remember Damascus? Do you remember your attitude? Do you remember that you were persecuting my people? Do you remember that you were on the other team? When it's going to hurt, it's a very important thing to remember our Damascus road. Remember where we were when He found us. Remember what we were doing when He saved us. Remember our mentality was nothing like His mentality, but He chose us anyways. He saved us anyways. He died for us anyways. And He was telling Paul here, like y'all has testified of me in Jerusalem, your ministry... Your Damascus road, remember that, Paul. If I could take care of you then, when you didn't even know who I was, I can take care of you now. Not just your Damascus road, but your discipleship road. We've we've been through it every chapter, haven't we? We've seen all the times Paul, supposing he was dead, was cast out into the streets. We remember all the times Paul was reviled and rioted against. We remember all the times that those disciples begged him, please don't go. You can't take much more of this, Paul. We can't bear to watch you suffer like this anymore, Paul. We know about the the, the trials and the temptations of Paul's ministry up until this point were enough to put enough of us out of it. We'd say, no, 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 I'm done. I quit. I can't take no more of this. But he said, don't just remember your Damascus road, Paul. Remember your discipleship road. Remember everything that I've brought you through. Remember everything that you've been allowed to do for the ministry. Remember every soul that made a profession of faith, Paul. Remember every soul that was changed. Every life that was touched. Every child that came to know me. Every mama that came to know me. Yes, Paul, I know this storm's going to hurt. Yes, Paul, I know this tribulation's going to stink. Yes, Paul, I know this furnace is going to get hot and nobody's going to be in there with you. But remember, it is worth it. You know, Paul, because of your discipleship road. His Damascus road, his discipleship road. But also, remember the difficult roads. I said roads because they're plural. When you see that storm out ahead of you, when you see that trial coming down the line or you just find yourself right in the middle of it remember all the times he's come through for you and a lot of us it's 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 so easy to get so caught up in the things that we can get caught up in in 2020 that we forget all those light bills and all those water bills and all those tanks of gas and all those jobs and all those relationships all those friendships All those things where God was so real and God intervened and God lined everything up like he needed to line up. And we know those times were difficult and we wouldn't want to relive them again. But Paul said, God said to Paul, thou hast testified of me into Jerusalem. You've made it this far. Don't turn back now. Don't turn back now. I've come too far to turn back now. Remember who is beside you. Remember what's behind you. But lastly... Remember who goes before you. Remember who goes before you. Look at the end of verse number 11. For thou hast testified me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. Rome was now pronounced by Christ to Paul as the official end of the road for Paul. Rome, Lord? You want me to go to Rome and preach the gospel? You want me to go to the heart of the Roman Empire? You want me to go to the melting pot of the entire world's culture where there is no God, there is no uh, any kind of worship going on? If you understand how vile and how wicked of a place Paul was about to go when the Lord was talking to Paul here and he said, thou must bear witness also of me at Rome, he was sending him to you name it, the most vile, the most wicked, the most adulterous, the most idolatrous, the most abominable city on the planet, still is for the most part. Rome was the heart of wickedness in all humanity at this time. And he says, I want you to go there and preach the gospel. You see, a big task took a little preacher to talk about a big God in one of the worst places in human history. Paul, no doubt, faced with this task. It would be so big, a human mind couldn't fathom it. Rome? Rome? Where they worship that, and they do this, and they practice that, and and things you can't even talk about in a pulpit. There? And Paul had some time to chew on this. We know this imprisonment term is where he wrote most of his epistles. And as Paul began to write... About this storm that he was going through. And he began to reach out to Corinth and Ephesus and Galatia and Thessalonica and the church there at Rome. And and when he began to write, he began to reach out, he worded it like this. And it's the wording that I truly believe with all my heart, and Brother Mal hit the nail on the head this morning that we have to have when we hit these storms. Here's how Paul summed it up To live as Christ. To live as Christ. As part one. To live is Christ. Every step we have here on earth, whether it's in the middle of a hurricane or sunshine and rainbows, both of them are gifts from an almighty God. Both of them are something we don't deserve. Both of them have a purpose and have a plan and have power over eternity. Do you realize that the only reason God allows us to live a human life here on earth is to impact His eternal kingdom, is to sow the seed of the gospel, is to grow and multiply the bride of Christ. And as Paul was faced with this trial, he summarized it as he would begin to write and he would begin to process this in all his epistles to live as Christ, to live as Christ. He made his mind up that while he was going to the most vile, wicked abominable city since the days of Sodom and Gomorrah in his time as he was going there he was going to tell them about Jesus he was going to preach the gospel it is no mistake it's no mistake church that the next book in your Bible is what? Romans flip over to Romans chapter 1 with me you need to see this To live as Christ. Just to make sure we understand who's writing it. Romans 1 verse 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated into the gospel of God. Look at verse number 7. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Here we see Paul write the constitution of Christianity to the first Baptist church at Rome. We see Paul write the most foundational document of the Christian faith being the book of Romans. To the church in the most vile, nasty, wicked, abominable city this world has ever known. How how did that church get there? It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. God, how in the world are we going to start a church in that city? It's going to hurt, Paul. But remember who's beside you. Remember what's behind you. Remember who's going before you. There's people in Rome that need you, Paul. There's people in Rome that will believe if they you just simply preach the gospel. If they're, given the, if they're presented with the truth, they'll believe it, Paul. Paul. And we know they were. And we know they did. And we know there was a church there in Rome. And we know that Paul could write with confidence to live is. Christ, if God puts breath in my lungs, it doesn't matter what the circumstances are. It doesn't matter how loud the wind is. It doesn't matter how high the seas are. I am going to preach Jesus. I am going to be a light. I promise you this: there is somebody watching each and every one of us, whether they be at our church, whether they be at our workplace, whether they be at the grocery store, whether they be at the car lot, whether they be anywhere, and they're watching you and they're watching me. And when their the binoculars get a lot more focused, is when they know you're going through a storm and they know I'm going. Through A storm, and they want to see what a Christian does in the midst of adversity. To live is Christ. It's where the gospel needs to come out the loudest. It's where your love for your Savior needs to be shown forth the strongest. But it's going to hurt. It's not going to be easy. He never promised that the cross wouldn't be heavy. To live is Christ. Lastly, to die is gain. To die is gain. When it's going to hurt You got to remember what Paul was just told here This world is not your home This world is not your home And guess what church The storms will end The storms will end Saw something on the internet on the way here Says I'm not getting a 2021 calendar Until I see the trailer first When you look at The downward spiral of one nation under God. It can be very tempting to just say, this is going to hurt and quit and back up and sit down and pout and moan and groan. But I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times. If God was done with his church, the church wouldn't be here. He'd have done taking us home if we didn't have a job to do here. He's not waiting on some wooden Indian somewhere to get their heart right. No, he's waiting on the church of the living God to mobilize and go get them. Amen? Amen. When it's going to hurt, remember who's beside you, remember what's behind you, and remember who goes before you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your preacher. Thank you for Paul. God, I know that there's some in this room that are going through storms that if they were on my front door, I don't know that I could even handle it. God, there's people in this room that are going through storms and they go through storms on a daily basis that would make us cringe and make us ache and make us groan for their well-being. God, I pray that those in this room going through those trials, going through those storms, God, while we know it hurts, while we know it's painful, while we know it's not easy, God, I pray for your comfort now. I pray for your... Holy Spirit, to come down and and give grace and love and mercy to your people. God, we know there's so many health needs. We know there's so many financial burdens. We know at Anchor of Hope Baptist Church, at any Baptist church, at any church, at any gathering of people, that people are hurting and that people need you. Lord, I pray that you be a comfort and a blessing to our people. God, I pray that you help their cup to run over with joy and to be of good cheer and to remind us that you know our name remind us that you know what we're going through and remind us that it's all worth it that it all is going to pan out in the end that the end of the book is we win and you will reign forever and ever and god i pray that you remind your church that when it hurts stay close beside you god i pray and i ask these things bring us back to our place on the appointed time wednesday in jesus name amen amen again i want to reiterate if you just need to stay behind in the sanctuary and pray with somebody